0: Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started paddling the blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. In today's episode, James Mankey is going to take us down an exciting journey on the Grand Canyon in a sea kayak with a Greenland paddle. And you'll learn about James' first time on a river, how he used paddling to get past his fears, and why he loves Greenland paddling. So enjoy today's episode with James Mankey. Hey James, welcome to Paddling the Blue today.
1: Hey there, how you doing?
0: I'm fantastic today, it's a beautiful day here. Yeah, good, good. So tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, your background as a paddler.
1: All right, so I'm from Vancouver Island. I've been paddling now for I guess about 12 years uh, and that started when I moved to Vancouver Island. For me, a lot of this really started as a fear of the water. So one of the things that really drew to me was learning how to roll a kayak and learning how to roll multiple ways really helped me sort of overcome that fear. So that's really how I got into paddling and you know, really it's been fear to passion kind of story for me. Yeah, Vancouver Island is an excellent place to be. It's a, a great place to paddle, and we have uh, a lot of diversity here. So it's a great, great area.
0: So you're not the first person that I've heard who got started paddling because of a fear of water. Right. <laughs> that's that's interesting. And so how did you gravitate toward Greenland?
1: So really what, what it was for me, uh, when I first started paddling, uh, I did start with a Euroblade, and I started rolling with a Euroblade. But there was this fellow that was paddling around Vancouver Island at the time when I first got into, into kayak, and His name was Joe Blennis, and he was paddling around the island for the record, and uh, it really inspired me. And at that time, I'd actually had a shoulder injury from learning how to roll, and I wasn't able to paddle for a while. So I was really focused on this guy kind of paddling around the island, watching his spot. And I noticed that he was coming closer to uh, Nanaimo area, which was close to where I was. So I decided to, to go up and meet with him. And long story short, he ended up uh, inviting me to go to the island that night after, after beating the record. And we became pretty good friends. And uh, he ended up giving me his spare paddle, which was a Greenland paddle. And that was really the first Greenland paddle that I'd ever had. So that's really where the first Greenland paddle kind of came. Incidentally, on that trip, while we were on that island, uh, another lady joined us, and that lady happened to be Helen Wilson, who is also into Greenland kayaking and travels around the world and teaches rolling. And so while she was there, she pulled up in this sort of Taihee Greenland kayak with this Greenland paddle and I was all enthralled I just thought this kayak looked absolutely awesome like some kind of ninja kayak and so I I remember going up to her and saying, what kind of kayak is this this is crazy and she says oh this is a this is a rolling kayak and i thought wow this is crazy i just learned how to roll a kayak and she says oh in- interesting what what roll did you learn how to do and i said well i don't know it's a you know just a kayak roll <laughs> i go upside down and i and i come back up right and she says oh well that's not even one of the 35 greenland rolls and let me tell you my mind it just exploded at that moment john and i was i was like oh man if there's 35 ways to roll a kayak certainly i can get over this fear of the water like i was just in this moment of realization, and really after that trip, I remember I was in a motocross at the time and I remember selling my bike and three days later buying that exact same Taihe Greenland and obsessively going to the lake and learning these new found skills, these Greenland kayak rolling skills, and at that time there really wasn't a lot of people to teach it, so uh, you know, it was a journey all on its own learning how to do all of that.
0: So how long would you say that it took you to to learn the 35 roles?
1: Um, I would say a good solid eight to ten months. Uh, And that was religiously practicing. And and I'm talking I would go out uh, in the morning and then I would also go out in the evening. In the beginning of that process, I was spending a lot of time in the water later on i started to realize i was actually spending too much time in the water uh any anybody that that rolls or or practices rolling knows that really you can only roll well for maybe about a half an hour or 45 minutes and anything after that you really start to wear down and in the beginning stages of that eight month process i remember going out sometimes for two three hours at a time literally going out and hitting the pinnacle after about like 45 minutes And then starting to regress and really just fall apart and leave angry almost, you know. So it really taught me after a lot of those months that I really just had to stop after about a half an hour, 45 minute process. But yeah, it took me about eight months to learn a majority of those roles. And a lot of that was self-taught. I would go online and find videos of either Inuit paddlers doing the roles or various international Paddlers doing those particular roles that I might find on Facebook or other or YouTube or whatever it was and Because I was uh, a programmer at that time. I had uh, a couple of computer screens on my desk so what I would do is I would put one of these rolling videos up on one screen and then I'd go out to the lake and I'd record myself and I would put that up onto the other other screen and I would go frame by frame and be like oh I totally missed that part right there and I write it down and go back out on the water that evening and really try to hit that one little area that I was missing and just religiously go through fine tuning it and, until I started, until I figured it out. So it was quite a long process trying to figure a lot of that out. Uh, but let me tell you, I know how to do it wrong just as well as I'd know how to do it right after that much time.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, eight to 10 months, that's a pretty fast progression, but you put a lot of time into it during that eight to 10 months yeah
1: absolutely absolutely there it was definitely it was definitely an an obsession for me i was definitely dedicated to figuring this out i really believed in my mind if i could figure out how to roll this many ways that would truly overcome it would help me overcome that fear and it really became this sort of therapeutic thing for me i remember going out onto the water and just having like a sense of calmness you know like for the longest for many many years i mean i was afraid of the water i wouldn't even go into the water so now i'm actually in the water hanging out upside down in the water you know counting and it, it was a very therapeutic for me you know if i ever had a bad day and i went out rolling that bad day was all over at the end of that session
0: excellent yeah. so you mentioned uh, you mentioned helen and uh, helen kind of uh, teaching all over the world and you've built quite a business in yourself as well and a reputation teaching all over the world is that right
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it was kind of unexpected, to be quite honest with you, really this just started, like I said, as a way for me to, to overcome that fear, and once I learned how to do a majority of these roles, uh, how it really started was, was I, I believe it was my mom or my dad was, was talking to me and saying, oh, what have you been up to? And I said, oh, you won't believe this, I just learned how to roll a kayak, you know, thirty some on different ways, right? And my, my parents were like, no way, we know you're afraid of the water. That's not that's not real. So my parents were were really wondering like like what is going on. So so I put together a small video and I remember putting it on social media just so that my parents could see it. And it didn't take very long and that video just started going viral and it started going off. And, and I remember getting messages of people saying, man, how are you doing all these roles? I can't figure out how to do this stuff. Where did you learn how to do this? And I'm like, I, I just figured out how to do it. Right. Like I watched a few videos and, you know, I, I just I just sorted out how to do it. And I remember having locals ask me if I could teach them. And I was really hesitant to teach. I really didn't believe that I could teach anybody how to do it. I mean, Man, it it took me that many months just to figure out how to do it on my own. How am I supposed to teach somebody how to do that? So I, I remember the first time I taught somebody, I just, I guess I articulated it the exact way they needed to hear it. And It was like a 5-10 minute process and they were rolling the kayak and I literally couldn't believe it I felt like oh man, what's wrong with me? Why did it take me so long to figure out how to do these rolls and I just tell this guy how to do it and he Puts it all together. He's like no no. He's like honestly, you're just telling me the right things like the way you said it Just explained it perfectly. It was exactly what I needed to hear and so I started to sort of teach from that point and Really, the first place I ever got invited to teach was Japan. Yeah, I was invited by Ichi Ito to go to Japan. And I remember that was the very first event that I ever taught at. And there was five other members from Kwanak-Katofia, which is the main chapter in Greenland. And it was so intimidating for me. I, I, Man, what a time that was. But yeah, that that was the very first time I taught. And ever since then, it, it sort of just snowballed from there and decided you know, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. I want to follow this. So as a marketing guy already and a programmer and all these types of things, I was able to really market myself and turn that into an international business.
0: That's pretty cool. I love when uh, people find their passion. So I've, I've talked with some paddlers who've done some pretty out there trips, but let's talk a little bit about your trip on the Grand Canyon. So paddling the Grand Canyon in a sea kayak. With a greenland paddle ranks up there pretty high so tell us about that trip and where that came from
1: oh man well that was a crazy idea of jamie sharp actually so jamie sharp is uh is a pretty well known paddler out there and i met him in the pretty early stages of of my kayak career Uh, and he was working for track at the time and i remember him coming by my place and wanting to shoot some rolling videos on, on track kayaks. So that's how we initially met and Jamie and I just really connected and we're like brothers. And um, you know, we just started to do more trips together. We started to surf tidal rapids together, going to Skookum Skookumchuck and Solo and Surge Narrows and all these different places. And I remember Jamie planning for a trip to go down the Grand Canyon and him talking about it and he approached me and said, hey, do you want to go down the Grand Canyon? And I thought, well, that sounds pretty crazy. You know, I, I'm at this point, literally, John, I think I'd been paddling for maybe a year and a half or two years. So I'm, I'm a pretty inexperienced paddler at this point. Yeah, I'm paddling some pretty big water because I sort of fast tracked that. But I had never, ever paddled the river to that to that day you know i thought man what a challenge this sounds great i just learned how to do all these rolls this is perfect what a great way to challenge myself to see how those rolls are going to work out in some really hairy water Um, and so yeah i decided that i would do it with a greenland paddle (laughs) (laughs) and really to be quite honest with you the the choice of using a greenland paddle was simply because that's the paddle that i was most comfortable with i had learned how to roll with it so many different ways that I, it was a security blanket for me. Like it, it was the paddle of choice. In fact, some people say, you know, oh, you're crazy to do that with a Greenland paddle. In my mind, I think it's crazy to do it with a Euroblade. So, you know, it's just, it's sort of what it, it, it's dependent on what tool works best for you. And so, really, that was it. It was the Greenland paddle that worked well for me. And incidentally, it turned out to be that, that I was likely one of the first people. To uh, actually do the entire Grand Canyon with a Greenland paddle, so that was kind of a cool, cool thing as well.
0: Yeah, I suppose if you know 35 ways to get yourself back upright, um, that's the tool you want to use to get there.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and let me tell you, I did, I did use multiple rolls going down, going down the Grand Canyon. I mean, some of them I can't even tell you what roll I did. It was just a combo, maybe between two or three different rolls, but man, some of that water is big, big water. And, you know, I did not have the experience going down down, down a river like that. And, and the retentiveness of some of those waves are pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> so, so what was the experience like? Let's kind of walk us through some of that.
1: For me, I mean, I was a big ball of nerves going down because I, after accepting this trip, I started to do some research on it. And I, I started looking at some of this water going, oh, man, what did I sign up for? Like this is, this is some really big water and you know, when the trip was going on and we were going down that river, I remember it being a very much an emotional roller coaster. Um, You know, you're just paddling along and it's so surreal. You look up at these golden walls and you're just deep inside this canyon and it's calm and it, it was like, it was like being in a movie set. It was absolutely insane. And all of a sudden you would come around the corner and you could hear it coming, you know, you could hear the rapids coming and it just got louder and louder. It was like a monster was getting closer to you. And looking down the, down the river, you could just see the drop, like the river looked like the river just sort of ended, you know, and there's these little spurts of water kind of coming up over here and over there. And you're like, okay, I'm not going to paddle over there where that's exploding. And you know, so you're, you're, just trying to navigate where to go, and i I remember just the emotional roller coaster of that, just the not the anxiety, so much as the adrenaline like leading into the rapids and then dropping into the rapids and you know, and then all of a sudden that's done, and it's just so exciting and then then you're down low again, you know, and you're going through this really. You know beautiful serene section again and everything's calm so it was just this real emotional roller coaster
0: so did you did you scout any of the rapids ahead of time or did you just bomb down them
1: so before we went down the grand canyon we stopped uh and visited a guy named reg lake and reg lake is a really he's a pioneer in the industry uh ran a lot of the rivers in the u.s first ascent he's uh he's older now in his 80s now late 80s i believe Uh, But we stopped there, and and Reg has actually paddled the Grand Canyon numerous times. Like, I I can't even, I don't even know how many. I'm going to guess probably close to around 20 times. And he had actually had a little log book uh, that he had marked up. So we stopped, and we visited with with Reg, and he actually gave me that little book. Uh, So we were able to go through that book sort of the night before in camp and be like, okay, we're going to go through these rapids. These are Reg's notes sort of based on these rapids, the things that we should avoid. We should paddle heavy left or, or we should paddle heavy right. Uh, so there was all sorts of different like notes that were kind of in Reg's little book. So that was very helpful. We did scout a number of, of rapids, but a majority of them we just kind of went went with the flow of it and read Reg's notes. Uh, but when it got into the bigger more extreme kind of runs we definitely stopped and scouted that out.
0: All right. So how were you supported along the way? Were you self-supported or you have others?
1: Yeah, it was considered a self-support trip. There was actually uh four sea kayaks and one open canoeist from uh f- from Canada. So, uh we ended up joining three uh river kayakers that were from the US. So there was actually a group of 10 of us that were on one permit. But we were considered self-support because we didn't have a raft support with us at all. Uh, basically, if we broke a boat or if we injured ourselves, we were looking at either hiking out of that canyon or or a helicopter ride out. So the consequences were a little bit heavier, for sure, because we didn't have that raft support.
0: So what did you? Uh, what boats did you paddle?
1: Uh, I paddled the PH Dolphin One Five Five, which is which is a poly boat, so a plastic plastic sea kayak that was my choice you know i again i was a new paddler at that time i probably would have picked a a different kayak if i was to do it again but at that time the word glass and the word grand canyon (laughs) mixed together in my mind was suicidal i was like man i'm gonna something bad's gonna happen and i just was not willing to i don't know there was something about that that really haunted me so plastic was the choice that I took uh, Ben Doff, who's another guy that went. Uh, one of the sea kayakers, he was in a Delphin. Costan Leonard was with us as well. He was in a, a Sterling Reflection, which was which happened to be probably the best choice of all, uh, just because of its volume and its maneuverability. It just proved to be the best sort of vehicle for the for the job. Uh, and then Jamie Sharp had a Gemini, a Valley Gemini, a smaller kayak. And you know they did quite well in the in the glass in the glass kayaks, but uh, yeah, plastic was what I chose to go down.
0: All right. <laughs> so, what were the famed Crystal and Lava Falls really like?
1: Well, to be honest, Crystal or Lava Falls actually. Crystal Falls, we we did run, and that was pretty terrifying. I remember <laughs> that particular run. It was either that one or it was House Rapid, uh, one of those two. I remember hitting the seam line going down that and it just I rolled right right away. Like something just caught me. I ended up upside down, heading right into the rapids. And I remember rolling up and I'm literally going down backwards. Like my stern is now facing into the rapids and I'm like, oh man. Like (laughs) literally getting pulled into into the rapids. So that was that was a little bit much. I, I remember being thankful to get out of that. But uh, lav- uh, Lava Falls, is it Lava Falls? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, Lava Falls. We ended up actually portaging around that, uh, around a section of that. So we didn't run the main flow of that. And the reason for it was just the water levels were so low at that time that it didn't look like the smartest option. And the group consensus was not to run it just because it was a self support trip and as a result of that if anybody was to hurt themselves it was it was just a bigger deal right if we had a raft support then we likely would have run that but that was the one that we walked around
0: good risk yeah. management call yeah
1: it, it was i mean we didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> you know and and i don't think many people do when you go that far and you want to run the whole river and then you're portaging a small part there's it's something about that just eats at you a little bit I think you know but it was it was good risk management we did the right thing absolutely we definitely did the right thing
0: so, so um outside of that uh, that crystal falls moment uh, what were your most harrowing moments of the trip
1: uh I think I think for sure that one moment rolling up backwards uh and and literally getting pulled into into the rapids was one of one of the one of the, the more scary moments for me I do recall another rapid that I went through, where I actually it did actually retain me for a little while. I actually I I hit quite a large rapid and it helped held me and it was just pitch pulling me back and forth. And I remember just seeing, you know, we call it window shading because you Mm -hmm. you see light and then you see dark and then you see light and then you see dark, right? So it was really I'm just getting pitch pulled in this in this wave. And I remember when I came out. I did this sculling roll which is one of the 35 Greenland rolls and I did this sculling roll and when I came up I was actually faced the other way in my kayak so my butt wasn't actually sitting in the seat of the kayak my butt was actually now poked out the back of the skirt but my skirt was on so tight that my body had actually rotated in the kayak and my chest was on the back of the stern of the kayak. So I had like I was in this really compromised position in my kayak but. Because I couldn't do a regular roll, I just did this sort of skull that kind of got me back up. And I remember coming up in that position and being like, wow, I can't believe that I didn't just swim that. <laughs> I literally rolled up and sat up and twisted my body around and sat back in the seat. And and some of the paddlers on the water were just shaking their head. They're like, how the heck did that even happen? <laughs> It was the will to not swim. I think is yeah. what it was. Like I was just, I was so focused on on rolling every single time. It was my goal to not swim the Grand Canyon. I think that was kind of my, my thing.
0: That's impressive. Yeah. So, so if you could, uh, if you could paint a picture, um, what would you say your your most memorable
1: moment would be? Oh, most memorable moment is probably having Christmas on the Grand Canyon there are not a lot of trees. Uh, And I remember this one little Charlie Brown, twiggy sort of tree in our camp. And we had brought Christmas lights. And I remember we wrapped this little twiggy tree up and funny story actually, prior to this day, we packed in Christmas dinner. So we had a ham and we had turkey and we had all this sort of stuff. And funny enough, a few days before Christmas, actually one of the whitewater kayakers uh, was actually, ha- actually had the, the Christmas ham and, and turkey. So when you go down the Grand Canyon, you have to have a, what, what they call a poop tube. So uh, your waste, whatever, you, whatever waste you have has to come out with you. So you have this sort of uh, PVC sort of pipe and it's called a poop tube. And uh, this one kayaker <laughs> was going down with his partner. And so the two of them decided, they, because they had two brand new poop tubes that they had created, they decided that they were going to share one and that the second poop tube, they were going to load it full of the Christmas dinner to keep it, to keep it nice and uh, fresh, right? Because I mean, these poop tubes have never been used, incidentally, right? So, <laughs> so good. that was that was their plan. So, uh, so this one guy has has the turkey dinner and everything. Well, he ended up swimming a couple days before Christmas, and he lost the tube, and the tube was gone, and we were all devastated. We we're like, oh man, we've lost Christmas dinner this is, this sucks. This is, everything's ruined. And hours later, I remember paddling and we come by this eddy and sure enough, here's this little poop tube bobbing in the water and Christmas dinner was saved. We thought we'd found this, we found the, the poop tube. Uh, so, so a few days later, Christmas came and I, I think that was one of the more memorable moments was sitting around that tree and we'd all had brought gifts to do exchanges. And things like cigars and all sorts of stuff were being handed out. It was just, it was amazing to see like in the middle of really in the middle of nowhere, it was, we still had this community between us and, and Christmas wasn't lost. Like Christmas was still there. We had the spirit of Christmas. So I think that was one of the special moments of that trip for sure.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So would you do it again?
1: Yes, (laughs) I would. (laughs) I absolutely would do it again. I have said no a few times, but the more that I do think about that trip, the more I definitely want to go back and revisit that. Yeah, I, I, I might do it a little different, meaning I would probably take a different gear maybe the, the the second round. I would definitely take a glass kayak the second time as well. But yeah, I think for sure I would do it again
0: all right yeah. so how, how um, you mentioned earlier that you know you kind of committed to the trip and you had about a year to prepare for it but you hadn't been on a river how did you prepare over that year for the trip
1: so really what i did to prepare for that was i went to skookum Chucklots, lots um and skookum chuck is uh a tidal rapid and seashell um, on vancouver island considered i i, I think it's still considered that one of the larger tidal rapids in the world it can Get up to about 20-30 feet wide uh, and the currents in that area can get up to around 17 knots we would go in there at that time we were going in there roughly around 9 to 12 knots as we would go in there and play around in the rapids uh, but it's just a big giant standing wave that sort of forms up in the front so you can sort of surf endlessly and really hone in your skill but it's everything behind that that's really good training for the Grand Canyon I mean there's a lot of whirlpools in the back end of, of Skookumchuck yeah a lot of not not anything super retentive but there's some big scary stuff back there so i spent a lot of time paddling in rapids a lot of time uh but generally on on the ocean like i said the grand canyon was actually the very first river that i ever paddled in my life never paddled a river before the grand canyon it was only ocean kayaking and tidal rapid training up to that
0: so you didn't have you didn't really even have the opportunity up until then to
1: paddle a river wow yeah your first river is the colorado yeah (laughs) incidentally i mean i'd had people offer me to do whitewater kayaking but that really didn't interest me i was more interested in the sea kayak end of things right and so when the opportunity came to run a sea kayak down the grand canyon well that's a pretty unique opportunity i jumped on that you know And, and i think at that time too running the grand canyon with sea kayak was sort of a rarity there wasn't a lot of people doing that i think more people have done it since but at that time, we were some of the first to actually run that in, in fully loaded sea kayaks unsupported.
0: Yeah, it's it's still not something you hear about all that often, but you're right. You, it, every once in a while, it does pop up.
1: Yeah, so. every once in a while, someone crazy enough is out there to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Greenland has given you an opportunity to do a lot of different things. And uh, in addition to the Grand Canyon, you also competed in the National Greenland Rolling Championships in 2014. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I
0: understand you left with a gold medal in rolling, and and silver in five other disciplines. So tell us a little bit about that experience.
1: Absolutely. Well, that was really, for me, that was a pilgrimage. I, I mean, getting into kayaking and really falling in with with the culture of Greenland kayaking, it was just kind of a natural path to to one day end up going to the end up going to the championships, and competing at the games and. You know, in the beginning of all this, that was never the goal of mine, even when I was learning the, the, the 35 different roles. That was not the intention was to go to compete. But once I was teaching it for a number of years, uh, you know, a lot of people were encouraging me to go. They're like, you should go. It, you know, it'd be a great experience. You'd probably do really well. And so I remember uh, uh, approaching James Roberts about it. And we were heading down to, to Delmarva, which is a traditional event in Delaware, and when we were traveling down, I remember we just, we were like, hey, we should just, we should do this. You know, we should go to Greenland. Let's, let's, let's do this trip. And that was it. Once we'd set our mind on it, that was it. We, we'd started planning from that day forward. And uh, we made it more into uh, what we had to do to do this trip was we, we crowdfunded actually to, to do the trip because it's really expensive to get to Greenland it's really expensive to compete and if you want to have your own gear there then then that cost is is even more so we ended up crowdfunding in, in order to get to Greenland and in trade for that what we did was we put together a documentary a short documentary that you can find now online it's on Vimeo and on, on YouTube called Greenland Bound a Paddler's pilgrimage and that was sort of our give back to the community for helping us get there
0: I, uh, I watched that video uh... Uh, a couple of years ago, I guess it was, and I will, uh, it's a good video, so I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes so other folks can get an opportunity to check it out as well. Perfect. So what was the experience like at the uh, at the championships?
1: Well, it was an eye-opener for me. I mean, I, I remember going to the championships and thinking, oh, this is going to be this really competitive thing, and I mean, North Americans naturally are competitive. We, I, I mean, we're really competitive by nature what i learned really when i got to the games that this wasn't so much about competition so much as it was about spreading a culture and it was about encouraging kids and youth to get into kayaking and to really embrace their their heritage and that's really what the games are about for me i think going to the games yeah i I did go with a little bit of a competitive edge because that was sort of how i i viewed it that's how i thought it was going to be but i remember being there and just really being kind of taken back by wow this really isn't about the competition so much as it is about this culture and about spreading that culture you know so i think that was one of the bigger things that i learned from that experience
0: going back to um kind of the the whitewater piece of it i guess. You mentioned you spend a lot of time in uh, kind of the white water of the sea, and you remember the hurricane riders too, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. tell us,
0: tell us about the team.
1: So the hurricane riders, really, uh, I remember when I was getting into kayaking, and I was, I remember doing all these different roles, and and one of the the first places that I would go and train was out at Jordan River, which is relatively close to Victoria, Vancouver Island. And that's where, at that time, the hurricane riders were were paddling quite often. They were going out there surfing the large waves in their sea kayaks. Well, I was going out there practicing my roles in the big waves, trying to figure out what, what was going to break me, right? So I was, I was out there just doing all these crazy different roles. And that's how I initially had met some of the hurricane riders, was being out there doing that. And so that's where that collaboration kind of started. And then also Reg Lake, who I'd mentioned earlier, he had ended up reaching out to me through on Facebook and wanted to do a trip on Vancouver Island and you know I had no idea who Reg Lake was at this time and, and after the trip just I felt so honored to be on this trip with, with this legend really and it was really the connection through Reg Lake and the hurricane riders that sort of got me paddling with them on a more regular basis Reg would invite me up to skookum chuck where they would do prototype testing for sterling and the hurricane riders would be there Uh, so i ended up paddling with them on a more regular basis and eventually became a part of that team i mean the hurricane riders are a great group of people really what i like about that team is, is it's a it's a collective of paddlers that push each other but they're all pushing each other to the same level if you know what i mean so Oftentimes when we're paddling, you'll be paddling with other peers that may not be as good as you or may hold you back from going out and doing some of the things that you want to do, where the hurricane riders were more of a high level group of paddlers who were challenging each other to do things and push each other's limits and push push the the limit of the sport even if you will I mean some of the hurricane riders stuff in the in the earlier days was some of the first sort of footage that was coming out of big tidal rapid surfing and stuff like that and sea kayak they just really inspired me as I was a paddler sort of getting into paddling and it was really an honor to eventually uh, become a member of the hurricane riders and paddle with them on a regular basis
0: for those who aren't familiar with the hurricane riders tell us a little bit about the group itself and and how one becomes a member
1: well, I mean, now, to be quite honest, a lot of the Hurricane Riders uh, are, are getting a little older. They have families, and uh, a lot of them aren't as active as, as we used to be a number of years ago. Uh, but there still are quite a few active members. To become a, a, a member of, of the Hurricane Riders, that's, that's a whole other thing. That's, it's, it's really an exclusive group. It was never intended to be a, a really large group. Uh, a few years ago, they actually ran like a a, a classified, thr classified at Scoop, which sort of allowed other paddlers to come in and paddle with the group. But the group never really had intentions to get large. It was just a collective of, of friends really pushing the sport and being together. I don't know if they're accepting more members <laughs> at all, <laughs> but I mean Hur- the Hurricane Riders is not as active now as it was, let's say, four or five years ago.
0: Tell us a little bit about the, the kit that you use. What do you, what do you paddle today?
1: So I primarily paddle uh, a Reflection 2 is what I'm paddling, which is slightly different than the original Reflection, but still has lots of volume. So it's more of a surf kayak with lots of rocker profile, uh, very, very maneuverable, but it, it's got quite a bit of volume. So it, it's really intended for big water. It's high volume. And then for a paddle, what I've been paddling recently is the GearLab Calique. It's actually quite a good paddle, uh, and one of the reasons why I like that paddle not only because it's a carbon fiber Greenland paddle, but it's quite sharp. Uh, it's one of the sharper blades that are that are on the market right now, and and I believe a sharp, the sharper the blade, uh, the easier it is to do a lot of those different rolls, and the quieter it is, and the more smooth it is. So, I've been using the GearLab paddles. Uh, for my paddle. And then for dry suits, I've recently joined the Level 6 paddle team. Um, and so I've been using a lot of their gear, spray decks and dry suits and dry tops and all that sort of stuff. And I, I have to say, I've been quite impressed with their gear. Really, really good bomb-proof gear. I incidentally worked in the dryware industry for a number of years, and I'd always had my eyes on, on the Level 6 brand. And because it is a Canadian company, I, I really feel it's an important to, to support Canadian companies and their qualities there. So that's what I've been paddling recently.
0: Cool. Stig and the crew there are, uh, are good people. So
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You mentioned uh, that you said a sharp paddle. So for, for those of us who don't paddle Greenland, when you say sharp sure. um, in terms of a Greenland paddle, what, how can define that? So what I mean by
1: sharp is I'm talking primarily about the blade itself. A lot of Greenland paddles, if you look at wooden Greenland paddles, they're quite blunt. Uh, they're they're not really sharp on the blade themselves, but arguably they can't really be sharp because wood paddles can only be so thin, and they're they're going to lose that rigidity, if you will. They're gonna they're probably going to chip, or you're going to end up getting slivers or that sort of stuff. So with wood, you can really only go so thin. Traditionally, uh, what they would do is they would inlay bone on the tip and the blades of Greenland paddles and that's how they, it would allow them to keep the edge nice and sharp. But of course, we don't, have, we don't inlay bone in, in our wooden paddles now. A lot, of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of paddle builders are laminating paddles so they can put harder woods on the outside of the Greenland paddle allowing them to get that edge a little bit sharper. But when you get into carbon fiber paddles, you can really get away with quite a bit more edge. So you can get it quite a bit sharper. So that's sort of the advantage. You you maintain the rigidity in the blade, yet you can have a sharper, thinner blade. Where if you did that with a wooden paddle, it would probably just end up breaking at some point. So... Having that sharper blade is just, it's really critical for a lot of the rolls, uh, especially when you start getting into the sculling rolls. It becomes a lot easier to actually do those rolls with a sharper blade. And then paddling, just paddling in general. When you're paddling, the sharper that blade, the quieter that blade becomes. And really traditionally, blades were intended to be quiet because they were hunting tools. They were intended to be paddled up to, to prey. So if your paddle was making a lot of noise, chances are... You know the seal probably heard that and they were gone. The quieter all of that was traditionally, um, the more the more result you would get. So I, I don't know. There's something about the primitive side of it, and that that I really love as well. So the sharper that blade is, the better. I mean, obviously carbon paddles aren't primitive though.
0: But. <laughs> But I suppose if they had the technology, they'd have said, ah, that's the option for me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So what do you want people who are not yet Greenland paddlers to know about Greenland paddling?
1: Well, that it's a different tool. It's a different tool, and it's used differently than a Euroblade. And and I think there's a lot of misconception out there about the blade. Uh, A lot of people buy Greenland paddles. And they get a little bit frustrated with the paddle initially when they start to paddle with it because they try to use it like a Euroblade. And the reality is is that it's, it's a different tool. It's used completely differently. With a Euroblade, you're reaching to your heel, planting the blade and pulling to your hip. And a lot of instructors are saying, okay, we'll release the blade at the hip. The blade should never go past the hip. So your power is really from your heel to your hip with a Euroblade. But with a Greenland blade, you're holding it on more of a canted angle and it's a low angle stroke and you're initially slicing the water until the full blade is actually emerged into the water, almost like the bottom of your hands touching the water. And at that point, that's when you're pushing and pulling with your hands, initiating that prior that power to the blade. So your stroke is actually from your hip all the way to your stern which is completely different to a Euroblade, which is from your heel to your hip. So it's a different tool. Uh, it's used differently. If you use it like a Euroblade, people find it hard to keep up with their friends, but the reality is, is you don't have the full blade in the water. When you're reaching to your heel and pulling to your hip, you only got maybe the tip of the wa- the blade in the water. With the Greenland paddle, the blade needs to be deep before you initiate the power. So it's a different tool, so I, I think Give, give the blade a chance and, and use it use it the way it's supposed to be used and you'll, you'll find a lot of diversity out of it. One of the things that I really love about the Greenland Paddle and what I believe with the Greenland Paddle is it is a little bit less paddle. So it's not quite as, it doesn't have the same catch as you will uh, as a Euroblade does. So as a result, it's really going to make you focus on body awareness and on your boat control. Because you just you don't have the same amount of blade to dig and to push yourself around you can't muscle yourself around you need to almost be a little bit more finesse and really focus on that body movement and that boat control so I believe using a Greenland paddler can actually make you a better better paddler quicker because it's like you take away one of those elements you have to sort of increase in the other areas if that makes any sense it does yeah.
0: So for those who are already paddling a Greenland paddle, um, what's, what's your top tip for the Greenland paddler?
1: So the, the top tip is to always keep, keep the blade on a canted angle. So keep that blade on a 45 degree angle. You don't want to be reaching forward, planting at your heel, because as soon as you do that, the blade tends to be flat to the water, or it tends to be flat. And, and a Greenland paddle is really shaped almost as a diamond. I know a lot of times when you look at the blade, it doesn't look like a diamond, but its initial shape is really a diamond shape. So when that blade is flat and being pulled through the water, it will do something called flutter. It'll it'll flutter in the hands. So it'll kind of jiggle in your hands a little bit until the blade is actually canted or it starts to get onto that angle and then it starts to clean up. So if you're experiencing any flutter with the paddle, it's all about the angle. You have to have that blade on a slicing angle all the time. Think about it as being more of an airplane wing or a blade, almost uh, a propeller, if you will, more than a spoon or a scoop.
0: So, what's next for you?
1: So, next for me is uh, I'd love to do a tour around, around Canada, a roll across Canada tour. It is planned for the summer of 2021. Uh, We'll see how those plans go just with with current situations But that that really is my next my next big goal I've had a sort of a dream to travel across Canada and teach as many people as I possibly can all the way from the West all the way to the East Coast and Just really help inspire paddlers across the country get them familiar with the tradition of kayaking I think there's a lot to be really learned from the tradition of, of kayaking there's a lot of value in that historic information that can be trans- transferred over to modern day paddlers and i mean rolling a kayak is a very empowering thing it's a great skill set to have and i mean i just get a, I get a lot of joy out of out of teaching it so the more people i can teach it in my opinion the better so I would absolutely that's the next step for me is my goal is to is to spread this across Canada and and do a tour across across the country
0: all right well we know if it if it doesn't get a chance to happen this year because of us uh, you know health situations and such then there's always uh, future years and we know you'll be out there and uh, we'll look forward to that and we'll uh, we'll make sure we we follow that for you as well so absolutely. All right. so uh, so James how can listeners reach you if they've got additional questions
1: all right, so I have—I do have a website online. It's kayak.ca and it's spelled the traditional way. So it's spelled Q-A-J-A-Q.ca. So that's my website and on there, I often list uh, the courses that I'll be running. Um, incidentally, the tour information will be on there. So if you're looking for any updates on, on that, that can be found on the website. There'll be a bunch of videos on there, rolling videos. And also you can contact me directly through the website one of the one of the better ways to actually reach me however is through facebook so if you're on facebook you can just look up my name james manke m-a-n-k-e and usually i'm the guy that's pointing at the screen <laughs> so if you see a guy pointing that's that's probably me
0: <laughs> all right well i'll make sure i get links to kayak.ca as well as your, your facebook profile out on our, right. our show notes so james one final question that i have that i ask all of our guests and that is Who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue?
1: Well, honestly, I think you would love to talk to Jamie Sharp. I think Jamie Sharp is an excellent paddler. Again, he's uh, the guy that I went down the Grand Canyon with. Really good friend of mine. Solid paddler. That guy has done some pretty serious trips. And uh, Spellbard, which I think a lot of us have have heard about, Uh, some pretty crazy stories that that guy has got. So... I think uh, your podcast could really benefit from from talking to Jamie. Jamie is uh, a lot of energy. He's a really, really good guy and a wealth of knowledge when it comes to paddling, that's for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, I will connect with you, and we'll get Jamie's contact information, and uh, we'll look forward to getting Jamie on the show.
1: Sounds so. good, buddy. Sounds good.
0: James, it's been fantastic talking to you. I've loved learning about Greenland paddling, about your trip down the Grand Canyon, uh, Hurricane Riders, National Greenland Rolling Championships, uh, Roll Across Canada, all the fun things that are happening. So this has really been a great time, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to join me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Have a great day.
1: All right. Take care.
0: If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, Use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds. And who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. What an incredibly fun trip and a great story of Christmas saved, too. As always, with every episode, check out the show notes for a link to the video Greenland Bound, a Paddler's Pilgrimage, and James' website, All Things Kayak. Um, he's quite an accomplished paddler, and he's got some really neat things coming up in the next uh, year or so, so check him out. In our next episode, we're going to feature Australian Mark Sundon. Mark is one of the founders of Expedition Kayaks, along with Rob Mercer. And Mark and Rob have been responsible for bringing great kit to Australia for several years, along with designing their own line of boats, And Mark joins me to talk about some of his favorite paddles, an adventure to the North Reef Light with just a few short crossings. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.